podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Well, well, well. Just one or two things to be getting into after an explosive week 14 in the NFL. The over-under in the 49ers Saints game was 45 points, which means that both New Orleans and San Francisco beat the over individually. That tells you all you need to know. One of the great defenses of modern times having 46 points put up against it. And yet the Saints still don't win the game. What a match. Game of the season. One of the games of recent times in the NFL. And Nicky Bandini, no less, will be joining us to break it all down. We'll talk about the Patriots' defeat at Foxborough to the Chiefs as well. And understandably, Bill Belichick and Co. not particularly happy with how that one went down. Two touchdowns, they feel, taken away from their grasp, which would, of course, change the dynamic of that game. The Ravens, the number one seed in the AFC now. A win, a tough win against the Buffalo Bills. The Titans rolling, trying to catch the Texans and sneak in to the playoffs. They're very much the form team right now. We'll look at the NFC as well with the Rams win on Sunday Night Football, uh, making the wildcard race interesting. Again, there's so much to get into, so we'll get straight on with it. And Nikki Bandini. Nikki Bandini, how are you? I'm doing good now. How are you? you know, they say timing is everything. In your case, that is absolutely on the button. Because <laughs> every time we've worked together this season, it's whether it's been a live game in the studio or a, a pod after reflecting on a brilliant Sunday of NFL football, you have picked some absolute blinders and uh, talk about the best weekend of football to talk about to come on the Monday show. So uh, congratulations, first things first, for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I feel very lucky with, with the ones I've got to, to chat about with you this season. This was... Um, I mean, obviously we're talking about, uh, the Niners and Saints here and, uh, um, 48, 46 to the Niners. And of course, sort of mine goes back to, to last season and the 54, 51 game between the Rams and Chiefs. I don't know about you now. I thought this game was, was even better. I do. I do as well because it was all the things that coming into the game, people were pointing on, for example, this brilliant 49ers D, which the ringer pointed out isn't just one of the top defenses in the NFL right now in terms of a DVOA which of course is a kind of really key stat one of the top 10 defenses of all time so adjusted defense uh looking at the uh more sublime metrics defensively one of the top defenses of all time this Niners defense giving up uh giving up this amount to the New Orleans Saints and yet the Saints protecting Drew Brees not a single sack on him uh unable to win the game. Breeze Walker, I mean, you know, the cliche that, oh, no one deserved to lose that game. This might be the absolute prototype of a game that neither side <laughs> deserved to lose. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, to, to touch on what you just said, um, I think the Niners had the best sack percentage in the whole league coming into this, this, uh, this weekend, as you said, actually historic in some of their production. Um, didn't, didn't get to Breeze at all. Um, and some of that was, was Breeze getting the ball out quickly. And we know he can do that. I mean, that's obviously, I think we talked about this on the podcast earlier this season. Um, me and you, the fact that maybe his arm strength isn't quite where it was, but his, mm. um, his ability to, to dissect defense to make quick decisions is, 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 of course, right up there with maybe, you know, only Tom Brady. And that's because they've been around long enough to, to, to see things that others can't see. But actually, I thought on some of those plays, it wasn't even just that. He was getting protection. He was able to sit in the pocket. He was able to, to hang back there sometimes. I just thought it was extraordinary pass protection, um, on one side and, and Drew Brees, um, showing all of his sort of, uh, moxie and experience. And then on the other side, Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you could not be in love with Carl Shanahan's play calling this season. It's just so much fun. Um, big time Shanahan over here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, um, Kyle just check pitching the ball to, to Mostert and getting absolutely planted for it. Absolutely um, caked in the net. Yeah. What was he doing the game in the studio? It, it flashed up and I thought, oh my God. And oh, these being, is he being helped up? What's going on? He right in the next play. Oh, yeah. He's got bad straight back up. <laughs> yeah. I'm good to go. Not, tough, not coming up. Tough guy. Carl he hit again. twice as well. Did he get something happened later on as well? He got, I'm yeah. sure he got pancaked again. I uh, think you're right. I think that that was finally put about the, the game for a little while anyway. But. A few tough guys in this game as well, because of course later on we had um, George Kittle on that um, wow. giant uh, um, third and short, which I all I could think of when I was watching that um, weirdly, um, do you remember the movie? You will remember it. I just I don't know whether you remember the scene well enough. Um, the movie Varsity Blues. Of course, Varsity Blues. Yep. And and um, without spoiling it too badly for anyone, where they throw the um, uh, the the pass to Billy Bob. Um, yeah. And and you see in that scene, of course, they've they've hammed it up to the maximum because it's a high school football movie. <laughs> and uh, and by the end of it, he has about half the team on top of him as he sort of falls forward <laughs> yeah. dramatically. Yeah. And that was what that's all I could think of because by the end, it wasn't even like people were trying to to take Kittle down by conventional means. It was just like sheer weight of bodies was eventually going to force him to fall over. It was like um, yeah, it was straight out of WWE. It looked like yeah. it was being completely staged, but was actually happening in front of us. Marcus Will. Williams, who was the uh, and the crucial thing about that play was obviously not the thirty odd yards that Kittle got, but then the the face mask penalty oh, which yeah. Marcus Williams gave up. He was the guy that gave up the Min- Minneapolis miracle, of course. Yeah. He was, uh, so he's a difficult couple of years for for Marcus Williams, uh, and that was that was critical. Really, that was probably the, the the out of an extraordinary game, the seminal play, wasn't it? The play that that locked and loaded it for the Forty ers yeah, I mean, when you say seminal play, I think, well, how did we decide that? Yes, it was the one that yeah. that, that finally sort of put the put the nail in, maybe, um, because up to that point, it just felt like it could go on um, forever with these teams going back and forth at each other. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was just it was just amazing, all of it, um, right down to Emmanuel Sanders, you know throwing for touchdowns and receiving touchdowns and what a sort of rebirth he's had there. And I love Manuel Sanders. I always thought he was a um, an underestimated force in Denver because everyone's mm. attention was on Demarius Thomas. But I think he's a really great receiver. And um, again, Shanahan finding creative ways to get even more out of him. Um, yeah, it almost felt like 
sort of on one, like I say, on one side, this sort of version of footballing purity. And there's something very pure about Drew Brees. I don't know what it is. I mean, he does, um, um, again, things I'm sure you've seen his, his, his TV commercials. He always looks like he's, he's almost too wholesome to be comfortable selling things. Like he's not actually very good at it. He doesn't look, he doesn't look wholly comfortable sort of being a, a goof on Shilling. TV, like, yeah. like, like even Peyton Manning might have been. Mm. Um, but he is just this sort of, ridiculously um you know talented pure passer um and actually you know jimmy garoppolo threw the ball really well in this game really really well and in a big game sort of shutting some people up maybe about his talent level but it felt like it was the the sort of the purity of that saints attack against nevertheless um the the creativeness of that san francisco attack and in the end the creativeness just edged it let's talk about garoppolo i think that's it's really fair to say is this uh his best performance to date as a pro, do you think? I mean, it was pretty good. Um, what was it? Uh, um, 26 to 35, 349 yards, 10 yards in attempt, which is huge. Four touchdowns. And, and the only interception, obviously, was, you know, off his receiver's hands. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty special. And, of course, you know, the, the two things tied together, you have more um, room to work with as a quarterback if, the defense is still got its head spinning and can't work out at any given moment if someone's about to pitch the ball to someone else in an unexpected way. Um, but I thought this was a, a really great, um, you know, Monsieur performance in a in a game that couldn't sort of outside of being a playoff elimination game couldn't matter more. You know, this was a straightforward head to head for very likely the number one seed in the NFC. Um, mm. So. First of all, a team that you're probably going to, well, not probably because, of course, in the playoffs, anything can happen, but you would very possibly have to be again to to get to the Super Bowl. Um, and um, the opportunity for home field through the playoffs with the buy and everything, it was, yeah, probably the biggest stage that he's stood on since stepping away from New England. Um, and I don't know what more you could ask from him. We were talking about this in the studio, actually, and Ollie, our producer, uh, obviously also produces the pod, uh, was taking the mickey out of me for making the comparison uh, with Joe Montana, but the uh, which which is a reasonable, it's a reasonable criticism. Not at all, Primitive. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I was getting very carried away. But the the point I was making was the just how relaxed Garoppolo looked. It was mm. right in the heat of the game, and they cut to him, and he had a big grin on his face. It reminded me of that that legendary drive when he points when montana points out john candy uh before taking the team down to to well, I, uh win I, mean, the I, Super Bowl. I don't know that you can you know assign that label to jimmy garoppolo on a week when we've still got ryan Tannehill to talk about um, very no, fair point but, <laughs> but um, i do know where you're coming from and actually you know it's a thing which again i'm certain you and i have spoken about on broadcast in the past before one of the things that um tends to come out with um sort of the deep dive uh number crunching that goes on now around clutch performance is that there is, you know, there's really very little evidence of any players um, sort of consistently raising their game in clutch situations. What there is is evidence of lots of people whose um, game tends to drop in clutch situations and a small number who are able to maintain their normal level of performance in clutch situations. And I think that is is a lot to do with how calm you can keep yourself. It's how much can you just stay in your regular zone regardless of what's going on around you. So um, it's definitely a, a, a trait that is significant. No doubt about that. And he got props no, no least than Richard Sherman, who went out of the game early on, 
Sherman calling, uh, heaping praise on, on Garoppolo and the offense in totality. And it, typical of, of a player like Sherman, I think, and, and understandable given the offensive uh, masterclass that we saw on, on both sides, disappointed with, with how the D performed. Interesting what Sherman said, Nikki, about it, because you referenced Shanahan on the other side of the ball, uh, mixing and trick playing and all kinds of, all kinds of left field stuff coming out there. Less so from the Saints, and, and not entirely, of course, because Taysom mm. Hill cropped up and, and Sean true. Payton, uh, you know, isn't exactly uh, a straight down the line coordinator. But nevertheless, Sherman said, well, firstly, thank goodness for our offense. Thank goodness for Garoppolo Kittle, uh, the entire offense. Uh, they made plays when they had to. Talking about the defense, he said it's frustrating because of simple plays. Uh, it's not like they beat us with a bunch of trick misdirection plays. These are day one football plays that we have to execute better. So just bearing that in mind and, and putting the brakes on a little bit, of course, the 49ers, not least to the point you made, that it really puts them in a, in a really well, a strong position in terms of playoff seedings and home field advantage and everything else. And they've won one of the games of modern times. But their defense was really shown up here by the Saints. So how concerned should they be that Drew Brees and the Saints offense was able to do what it did? Um, I think, of course, when you have been as effective as they have at, um, I think in particular, being able to rush the passer and you have a game like this where you can't lay a finger on a quarterback, I think that's the thing that is almost most troubling to me. And you think, what what happened? What was this offense able to do against us that um, that stopped us from doing what we're normally so good at? Is it just that we were beaten individually by superior players? Or is it something that happened with the schemes? Is it something that um, they saw in our defense that they were able to counter? And I don't think, I definitely don't think you hit any sort of panic from a game like this because I mean first of all again you're 10 and 2 and you're you're now sort of on course for the the number one seed um and secondly no one else has been able to do this to you yet so it's much more likely that this is an outlier um than it is the sort of the new norm mm. but of course you look to learn lessons from it um and uh yes I suppose <laughs> maybe I'd need to do a deep dive on the tape before I'd have some sort of firm opinions about exactly what those lessons are but um of course, the, the coaching staff don't sort of look at this and go, we won and that's it. And, and we're all set. This is something that if you are the next team playing the Niners, you're going to have a very good look at. You're going to say, how did Drew Brees get through that game um, with his shirt clean? What happened? Um, and we'll find out, I suppose, in a week's time, whether or not there are some lessons that are so easily applicable that any old team can pick them up. Personally, I highly doubt it. Well, they got the Falcons up next. So that is uh, a relatively easy bounce, I think. But of course, their running includes both the Rams, who won on Sunday night football, beating the Seahawks, who are the 49ers' final game of the season. So it is all to play for still, certainly in terms of the NFC West, certainly in terms of the NFC seedings. Let's talk about the Seahawks-Rams game next then, Nikki, because it was a game that absolutely had people split down the middle even Vegas which had it virtually as a pick and I think it was a one point line and every uh, expert I read I spoke to could it was 50-50 down the line who was going to win this game it was comfortable in the end of course for the LA Rams Russell Wilson just couldn't get going at all concerns now moving forward in terms of the running game with injuries for for Seattle and one of the key things that the 
Rams said and McVeigh said going into the game was that they were going to unleash Todd Gurley. We were speculating what that meant. Has Gurley been, as many people have suggested, banged up for quite a while and now he's fully fit? Is it to do with the way that McVeigh has worked out how to use him with a realigned offensive line and, and the lack of Brandon Cooks and it's a different offense to, to last year? We weren't sure what it meant. Um, by the way, we got our answer. Gurley, great week last week. A touchdown and over 100 scrimmage yards once again this week. So he's really coming to the fore. The Rams have blown any chance of winning the NFC West, but do you think they can sneak into the playoffs as a wild card? I think they definitely can. I think it's not straightforward because the NFC wild card picture is still pretty competitive. Um, but... Um, I do find the Gurley situation fascinating. Of course, he's not the only one. There's been a number of, of running backs, and I think we're increasingly getting used to this new normal almost where we don't trust running backs to continue to produce to a high level for more than a few years. Um, but I still think there's, you know, there's room for a lot more than the sort of simplistic, oh, this person is no longer at the peak of their powers and therefore they are nothing at all. And I think that we've seen so many examples recently, um, Todd Gurley even among them, of, of running backs who have been worked, overworked early in seasons and, and not had much tread left on the tyres late in seasons. And I think that why do we assume that some of Gurley's um, sort of more scan use earlier in the season wasn't very, very deliberate and targeted at getting to this point of the season um, in in a more productive shape now of course you can make an argument whether that was a good decision if it's meant losing some games in the meantime um but uh he certainly looked good as you said the last two weeks i don't think we're seeing peak girly i don't think we saw his very very best in this game because i still feel like there's something there's something missing not in the reads which he's still got not in the cuts not in the ability to um throw someone to the floor with a stiff arm which we saw really well on, the, on that um seven yard touchdown run um but there's just something missing in the sort of absolute top end of his um speed i think which is stopping us from mm. seeing quite the the breakaways that we used to get but i think that what he does um, in terms of picking lanes, in terms of um, putting a hit on a defender when he needs to, but also uh, the shiftiness that he's able to combine with that. I think I think he has a lot of those tools still at his disposal. And I think that it's striking how much better the whole offense looks when he is a prominent part in it. I do think that's really striking. I think you look at, um, for instance, how much less pressure there was on Jared Goff mm. and in turn how much more... Um, I don't know how much more Jared Goff looks like an NFL quarterback when he's not dealing with constant pressure um, was really significant. Yeah, Goff, like uh, like Drew Brees in uh, the previous game, not sacked at all. And unlike Wilson, who was getting hustled and harried uh, quite a lot of the time, a lot of people citing a return to, to vintage McVeigh or classic McVeigh with the jet sweeps and that, that mixing up in that respect as well. One stat that really stood out for me, Nikki, the Rams made five uh, trips to the red zone, four touchdowns. So mm. not messing around when it came to the crunch in that respect. And uh, the Seahawks, big, big loss for them because of this battle for uh, the NFC West division. The 49ers now wrestling back control of that. Of course, it could still come down to, to week 17. But the other key issue for them is the the loss of Rashad Penny who uh, went out of the game and they've been going 
particularly to the ground game recently. Of course, last season they were prolific on the ground and they've had a more balanced time of it this time around. But in recent weeks, Penny and Carson have been making hay. Uh, it's been billed as a significant ACL sprain, significant ACL sprain. Mm-hmm. So that means he's not going to be back at any time in the immediate short term, whether he's done for the season or not. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Uh, let's work out what this means then for the playoff picture because the Rams now improved to eight and five with that win. Uh, and as we established, chasing a wild card, which at the moment is in the hands of the Minnesota Vikings because they're behind the Packers in the North nine and four. Uh, assuming, of course, the, the other, uh, the other wild card is coming from whoever doesn't win the West, whichever the 49ers this year, which doesn't win uh, the West. So realistically, looking at the rest of the teams in the mix, the Bears, despite winning on Thursday night football, are now way behind the eight ball and they're the next best with seven and six and everybody else has a losing record. So it's going to come down, you would think, to whoever doesn't win the North out of the Vikings and the Packers and the Rams for for the final wildcard spot. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and the Rams running is not awful. Um, But it's also not good. (laughs) I mean, I suppose it's, it's all a question of perspective. I mean, Cowboys who... I mean, they look pretty bad to me at the moment. So I feel like that's a winnable game for Los Angeles. It is the 49ers after that, which, as we've just been talking about, not an easy game. And then the Cardinals. And the Cardinals, I mean, the thing which I, I think is sort of relevant in this Seattle game, which is relevant to that Cardinals game, because, of course, they just blew out the Cardinals. And so you mm. think it's straightforward. But I think it is always relevant um, when a game is a divisional game. And I think that matters in how... Uh, in how well uh, in this game the Rams handled um, Seattle on defense. And I think it matters in terms of just providing a higher level of variance to all of those games. And I think that includes even the Cardinals game. And the Cardinals have been quite a team, a team I would say with quite a high variance anyway, when you think of how close they played San Francisco and, and you know, a couple of the games they've won, but also how bad they've been sometimes. Um, so I think there's... It's not an easy path for LA, but it's also not a path you look at and think that's that's at all impossible. Um, meanwhile, the Vikings have got uh, the Chargers, Packers, and Bears, and maybe you'd say the same thing. Frankly, some games there were some pretty high variants. So, and very interesting last few weeks. Nothing else. The Vikings had a pretty straightforward time of it. The Packers less so, despite being double-digit favourites to to beat the Redskins. They they started particularly strongly, and we thought, here we go. This is going to be you know, a 20 plus, 20 point plus victory, but the Redskins battled and uh, certainly made it tighter than I think the Packers would have liked. Who's your money on in that, in that race? Do you think the Vikings can catch Green Bay? Um, I mean, there's so much on that head to head, isn't there? Um, so, so that's again, the Christmas Eve game. Yeah. In, yeah. in Minnesota as well. Yeah. I mean, again, definitely can. Um, I might say that I I might say that I do favour them. I don't know why I, I'm having a really hard time um, trusting the Packers at the moment. I think that's mm. partly to do with some of the eggs they've laid, um, which uh, yeah, just make me sort of feel like there's something brittle about them in a way. I almost think their their ceiling is higher than Minnesota's, but I think their floor is worryingly low mm. um and as you said not a great performance really against a, a washington team with three wins all season even if washington have got some you know some good young players there yeah um, nfl.com reporting uh, one of the things rogers said off the back of the game was we don't mind if we're winning ugly but in the, the same article talking about the last five games this is jeremy bourbon reporting this saying the last five games 
the Packers are three and two and they've enjoyed a negative 13 point differential. So yeah. they are not, uh, unlike the Tennessee Titans, who are, as you said, we're going to come on to a little bit later <laughs> on, very much the form team at the NFL right now. They are not peaking at the right time. Although I guess Packers fans would argue this is perfect timing as long as we, that we make the playoffs and, and preferably win the division and then re up again in January. But at the moment, not winning, uh, particularly fluently. Let's move to the AFC, Nikki, and talk, of course, first things first about the big game at Foxborough, Kansas City getting the win, but the New England Patriots understandably pretty aggrieved about that victory. 23-16 was the final, but the Patriots think they had, and quite understandably, feel fairly strong conviction. They had two touchdowns taken away from them. You had the Travis Kelsey fumble uh, that was picked up, uh, Stephen Gilmore returning it to the house, but the refs had already blown, so he was essentially down by contact there and then of course the Inkeel Harry touchdown that they ruled the rookie receiver was out of bounds when he quite clearly wasn't but mm-hmm. Belichick couldn't challenge it because he'd already l- thrown both challenges down earlier on in uh, the game so nothing could be done and those two scores we'd be having a very different conversation right now yeah of course and and of course um lots of people aren't feeling too sympathetic to the Patriots because <laughs> it's know. the Patriots I mean I'm you know I think we should be very clear that two wrongs don't make a right. But of course, um, it was easy to understand. I put it that way. Um, we are based in the UK and we probably have that slightly, um, skewed, uh, to, that slightly, an audience slightly skewed more towards the Jaguars in some other places. And it was definitely present on my timeline more than uh, <laughs> my social media timeline, more than one person just reminding New England gently about a, a strip sack by Miles Jack in, in the uh, AFC championship game that could have, could have changed a lot, shall we say, if the whistle hadn't gone early and stopped him from picking it up and, and taking it back for a touchdown. So, right. um, but karma. But, but did you see as well the um, before any of that happened, the uh, the Chiefs' luggage? Do you see that story? The Chiefs' luggage it, uh, took quite a long time to get to Foxborough. It ended up in Jersey, apparently. Like two thirds yeah. of the players uh, were without their mm-hmm. uh, out their kit until uh, the eleventh hour. So conspiracy theories abounding there. Only only New England that would happen, of course. So, <laughs> What, what do you make, firstly, of, of, well, the Inkeel Harry touchdown is a bit more clear cut. It was just a bad call. He was in bounds. It shouldn't have been, uh, shouldn't have been called foot in bounds yeah. and uh, out of bounds rather. And sometimes officials make mistakes. Do you think though, covering both football, both footballs as you do, mm-hmm. uh, that there should be a review of any time there ball gets it breaks the plane and there is the you would define it so we got at the moment a review of any scoring play but should there be a review of anything that looks like a scoring play is what i'm saying in other words it's because there would be in football so there was a lot of chaos in this game i mean honestly i think um the officiating was just bad um in this game and and uh i think that clearly new england had the worst of it because they had bigger higher profile moments that went against them but actually even kansas city had some bad calls against them it was just a very um uh disappointing standard of officiating all through the game in terms of the um the the sideline thing the sideline uh, decision uh, it's it's very much the same sort of broad picture for me as the fumble in both situations the, the issue is all about whistles being blown if a whistle gets blown too early then you can't presume what would have happened next because as soon as a whistle is blown and players um react differently then they're not acting as they would otherwise um mm. which is why we had sort of big conversation about it after the Miles Jack uh, 
fumble recovery and non-return against the Patriots. And it's, it's why it's relevant again here. It's why to talk about both footballs. Um, and I have to say, I see, um, some fans in, in soccer who are very frustrated with, with the way things uh, are officiated now with linesmen not raising their flags for offsides until they're certain, because it means that you get far more goals celebrated that then get taken off rather than the other way around. Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't think that that part of it matters as much within the context of the NFL because I think there is much more an understanding and culture of how the replay is used and what it means and that there will be times when things happen and come back. Um, in fact, that's probably even more ingrained in the game just because of how penalties often work with flags being assessed after the play. I mean, you know, even before we had replay, we had long touchdown runs coming back for a holding call. We had, we had those sorts of situations. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Did you see the question that they, so Jerome Bogo, who was the ref uh, for the game, was asked about it afterwards. And one of the reporters suggested, why didn't the officials, because it was on the three yard line, he was ruled out of bounds. Why didn't the officials think about ruling it a touchdown, knowing that it could be reviewed, right? And, and doing it that way around, as opposed to giving no call, calling it a touchdown, knowing that it would be reviewed. So if he had gone out of bounds, then that's what would have come out in the wash, which makes a lot of sense. And it's easy, I guess, with 2020 hindsight to, to, to say that that's a shrewd maneuver that, um, <laughs> that, uh, I don't care how experienced an official you are. It wouldn't necessarily cross your mind at the, at the moment, but it made a lot of sense. But he, he brushed that off and said the two officials were covering it. They looked at it in real time. The guy that would have ruled a touchdown had him short. Uh, maybe if the official on the goal line had a touchdown, could have looked at it that way. Uh, but it essentially saying that the official whose job it was to assess whether he was out of bounds had already ruled him out of bounds, right? So uh, it kind of sidestepped it, but difficult once again uh, to, you know, putting the officials in the front line in such a significant game, such a significant moment. And the fact that there were two bad calls in the game that basically cost the Patriots, it was a bad day at the office for his crew. There's no doubt about that. Outside of that, outside of the officiating challenges what did you make of the game because the Patriots started incredibly brightly but once again we saw much of what we've seen for this season defensively standing reasonably firm offensively just not in sync at all yeah I mean to an extent by the way with the officiating decisions not wanting to minimize because of course you want these things to be right but it's not a playoff game the Patriots already were out of position for the number one seed and still are in very good position for the number two seed. So actually how much it's going to impact them, I'm not certain in the grand scheme of things because they still need to step up again to give the Chiefs a chance of getting beyond them in the AFC. Um, I think that... Um, and I suppose with the Raiders losing as well, that's a fair point. If you, if you flip it back and the Chiefs win as opposed to loss and what that means for the AFC West, if the Raiders had won, then John Gruden... Would understand be quite agree with yeah. what went down as well, but yeah, that's a reasonable point. It's probably it's not going to probably change what's going on in the West. Yeah, in, unless the Patriots. I mean, if the Patriots continue to lose, but if the Patriots continue to lose, I think they're going to start to have much bigger problems than than officiating. Mm. Um, you know, we're in this sort of. Um, I feel like sometimes we're stuck in this sort of uh, loop with the Patriots, where um, year on year, you you do see. Um, slight decline from Tom Brady and, and it, it's, you know, and it's real. Um, but you also don't want to say it because you're fully aware that even last year when they weren't playing very well for a stretch in, in the fall, um, they're capable of, of turning it on and, and winning playoff games and winning the Super Bowl, which I think they, 
very much are still at this point. Yep. But I, I do think it's it's impossible to frame the way they're playing at the moment without looking at the fact that Tom Brady's got 4.7 yards per attempt in this game, um, which, look, the Chiefs did a good job on defense. And I think uh, clearly the appointment of Steve Spagnuolo was, was a good one. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's the third time this season that, that Brady has had 4.7 yards or fewer per attempt. And he'd gone below that mark. I was, um, this is taken from, a, I think it's from The Ringer, actually, the, um, an article there. Um, Brady had gone below that mark once since 2009. And he's done mm. it three times this season. And it's, it's meaningful. This is, you know, this is a meaningful thing. And we can mythologize and, um, and, you know, say that just because he's been the greatest ever that he can't ever decline or we can acknowledge that he's a, a man in his 40s and sure. and and your body is going to have some say in this process at some point um but look at let's I, look at the, the supporting cast obviously has a lot to do with this right yes, let's look at the stats also that. this game right so on the ground and a lot has been made of the absence of james devil in their fullback and the negative impact that's had on establishing the ground game this was this is a, a kansas city defense that many teams can run on, right? We that's mm-hmm. the book on on this this incarnation of the Andy Reid Chiefs is they are fallible in certain areas and in particular their run D is weak. You can run on them. James White, leading Russia, six carries, thirty three yards. Second leading Russia, Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And then you look at the receiving, right? Edelman, and this seems to be the extent of their offense at the moment, Edelman making some kind of play. Eight catches, ninety five yards, and he was overwhelmingly the dynamic playmaker yeah. on the offense once again. And then listen to this, Nikki. Jacoby Myers, one catch. Okay, it'll be at 35 yards. That was the trick play from James White, of course. Uh, James White himself, five catches, 27, so out of the backfield. Matt Lacoste had a couple of catches. Mo Sanu had one catch. And Keel Harry had one catch. Uh, Sony Michel, one catch for one yard. Rex Burkhead, Philip Dorsett, didn't have any catches. Uh, so it is slim pickings when you have Edelman and then next to nothing else going on yeah completely um i, I think that's that's a very valid point and, and i yeah probably more important than me earning it on tom brady but um yeah i mean obviously rob gronkowski being gone has already been transformative loss to the offense and of course it would be because he is um possibly the most uh impactful tight end of all time um mm. the um sort of absence even since the start of the season you think how much better the offense looked at the start of the season you think that it's, it's, it feels like a different year, doesn't it? It feels like a different lifetime ago that there was um, Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon as part of this offense. I mean, right. yeah. there's been a lot. There's been a lot taken away from this offense since the start of the year. Um, and, you know, you're dead right. James White is a very good pass catching back. But if that's basically the only other weapon in your offense beyond Julian Edelman, who again is a, a great wide receiver, but he's a very specific kind of receiver. He's, a, mm-hmm. you know, he's undersized uh He's, a, he's someone who's going to do his best work, um, catching his, you know, well-run routes over the middle. You haven't got a, a, an option to take the, the top off a defense. You haven't got a, a steady, um, option to grind it out in the running game. Tom Brady, I was trying to think where I saw it earlier this week. Someone, um, making reference to the fact that, uh, sort of the various, some of the various, um, backup quarterbacks he's worked with in New England have commented on how he's always, uh, he always challenges his backups to, to foot races and, and is adamant that he's faster than most people think he is. <laughs> As you say, when he's your, you know, when he's uh, a focal point of your running game, something's not <laughs> something's going, going right. wrong. Yeah, the, so. Some stats to pull out or some other key points from this game and we'll move on. Talk about Baltimore. 
Patriots now 0-3 this season against the other divisional leaders in the AFC. The games they've lost, Baltimore, Houston, and Kansas City. At 61 points, New England allowed in the first eight games of the season, 107 in their last five, and that's where those three losses have come. So if we're talking about timing and momentum and all those buzzwords that get thrown around in December as we head towards the playoffs at New England are certainly on the wrong side of that. Although, as you rightly say, let's be incredibly mindful of two things. They've done this so many times before last season, being an operative example there. And that is the potential in this offense. We've been saying a lot over the last few weeks that there's some of the names I throw out there. All it takes is two of them to start stepping into gear and for McDaniels and and Brady to find out a way to start using them more effectively. And then we're talking about an entirely different offense because Sanu is a great receiver. Well, he's a very good receiver. Yeah. And Keel Harry has the potential to be a very good receiver. So it's not, all is not lost as far as New England are concerned. Well, no, absolutely. And and also you know, keep in mind on top of those things that um, their remaining three games in the regular season include Cincinnati and Miami. So really the only, the <laughs> yeah. only one that should be any sort of threat to them at all should be the Bills. Now that's an interesting game because the Bills, the Bills have you know shown up in this second part of the season beyond where I thought they were going to be, but it's not exactly a, a daunting run in from here to the playoffs either. Let's talk about the Bills. Disappointing offensively against Baltimore yesterday. Defensively, they really held firm. The Ravens are throwing a lot at them, and a couple of times in the red zone, they they held their nerve, but they they couldn't hold on because the offense was not at the races at all. And this has been, and this is hardly a, a particularly hot take, Nikki, and certainly not, uh, you know, anything I think all of our listeners would have worked out as well. But you look, just take a deep breath and look at this Bills offense in terms of talent. And it is pretty threadbare across the board. And with Josh Allen being still a bit of an enigma, no doubt about his ability on the ground. And he looked, has looked at the part, he looked decent against, Dallas and Thanksgiving, but he's not the finished article, quite obviously, and this doesn't have enough around him. So for this team, well, the tenor of this team succeeding has been defensively bossing games and then grinding out the win. Uh, and this was a good example of how that formula up against an elite side falls down. So while the defense was, as I say, holding on and toughing it out and keeping them in the game, the offense couldn't do anything. Allen completed less than 50% of his passes, averaging 3.7 yards per attempt, uh, 62.4 quarterback rating. So uh, Baltimore's defense uh, holding firm. And Lamar Jackson uh, wasn't exactly a uh, virtuoso performance from him. That's the trouble now. And uh, I think you and I have talked before about the problem of a player like Lamar Jackson. It's a bit like, Messi or Ronaldo that if they're not doing something world beating every single time they're on the ball then they're not having a great game and Lamar Jackson did what he needed to do uh, and and got the win incidentally passing uh, Michael Vick or joining I should say Michael Vick uh, the only quarterback to rush for a thousand yards in a season he's 23 to break the record Vick's record set back in 2006 with 1,039 yards on the ground. So Lamar Jackson is going to beat that record this season. What do you make of the game and the the Ravens' performance? Well, I'm just going to 
say this to begin. I know everyone hates hearing about everyone else's fantasy teams, but I thought people <laughs> might enjoy this because it involves suffering. <laughs> I subbed out the Bills' defense um, in a pl- fantasy playoff game yesterday because I thought it's the Mark Jackson, it's the you know, it's it's this Baltimore yeah. offense. Don't want to go up against that. Threw in the Carolina Panthers off waivers <laughs> oh, from no. a potential five points to a minus eight and uh, lost by ten points. So oh they, no! You know, yeah, all I needed, I, I, I almost could have. I almost could have done better by just not. Well, I would have done better. Almost not starting a defense, just yeah. by not starting a defense. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. To me, this was an encouraging game for the Bills, and you know, that's all about my perception of them rather than necessarily you know encouraging from the point of view that I think that it means they can win something this year because I ultimately don't. Um, mm. The issue is just that I, um, you know, we've. Again, so this is, you know, fits under the, 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 you know, the, the narrative of things we can go around the houses on, but Josh Allen is not a high caliber NFL quarterback. He's just not. And, um, on top of which, since we've given Tom Brady this, you know, uh, uh, acknowledgement, I think we can acknowledge that he hasn't really got that many NFL caliber, high caliber, um, weapons around him. Yeah. Cole Beasley is, a limited slot receiver and he's you know basically the number two in that offense but you know with john brown being a deep threat and even john brown i like him but he's not he's not one of the nfl's elite deep threats you know he's got he's got some you know he's got some ability to create separation but he's not a particularly special player so then he's not surrounded by um brilliant weapons josh allen but he's also not he's not a player who's going to have a transformatively positive effect on your on your offense. You're hoping that he can manage things and and just not create harm in some situations. And to an extent, that is what he did here. I mean, he didn't um, throw any interceptions. Um, I suppose he did lose a fumble. Um, as you say, the yards per attempt were very very low. He didn't do as much as he does with his legs in some games. Um, but I just think it's a very easy offense for a good team to prepare for. It's not mm. a thing that's going to surprise you. It's not some an offense that um, has enough tools to do anything particularly different to what it does. So they are relying on their defense. And and to that extent, I think you can be encouraged because I thought, and hence why they weren't in my fantasy team, um, I thought that the Ravens were going to have their way against this Bills team because I thought they would have so many chances. I thought that just by simple um, consequence of how many times with the Bills offense being as bad as it is, how many times the Ravens were going to have the ball in, in Lamar Jackson's hands, that this would be a blowout. And it wasn't. It wasn't actually. I mean, I don't think it ever really felt like a game that the Bills could win, but it wasn't a blowout either. So I don't know. I, I, I think that's probably as, as good as I thought this game could go for Buffalo. So the Bills blowing their chance to take the number one overall seed, of course, because with that Patriots defeat, that's exactly what they could have done. But the Ravens with the win have uh, possession of that at the moment with 11 and two, their record. The Patriots stay with a first round bye and probably lock down the AFC East, you would think, given the run in that Nikki was referencing. The Chiefs, are the third seed, the Texans, the fourth seed, the Bills and the Steelers, the two wild cards. And it's the Texans and the AFC South that we'll end up on because they are now, after their shock defeat this weekend, on the same record as the Titans, who are currently out of the playoff picture, but as we've identified, one of the form teams right now in the league. And you're right, Tannehill, 6-1 and one and averaging 30, almost 32 points a game since he has uh, stepped in. Is he the comeback player of the year, Ryan Tannehill? You know what? It's a strong case, isn't it? The only question to the comeback player of the year is, did he ever arrive in the first place before? <laughs> that is harsh. I mean, the man's a playoff is, quarterback. That's <laughs> true, but I mean, I, this is um, 
I mean, it's astonishing, isn't it? Like it's 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 sort of gone beyond the sort of funny thing where you're like, oh, look at Ryan Tannehill having a couple of good games. You sort of look around and go, this is still happening. I mean, he's playing yeah. really sort of lights out high level football now for like half a season and playing to a level that statistically is well beyond anything that he achieved during any of his sort of previous what six years was it as a starter in Miami um so yeah but the, the playoff season notwithstanding but you're right actually he's playing beyond that I think statistically he's yeah he's, he's way he's ahead of you way ahead of that playoff season like his, his, his numbers this season are incredible and you watch it and some of the things he's doing are absurd I mean the sort of spinning throwback across his body for John o. Smith in the end zone. It's its not a percentage play, really. It's not probably a very smart play to make that sometimes unless you sort of have um, really next level arm strength. It's a very hard throw to, to sort of deliver accurately and fast enough to, to beat a defense. But it's like everything he does is coming off. And again, you know, when it was two or three games, you sort of just laughed at it and thought, oh, it's just something weird and quirky that's happening. But we're now seven games in our way to this sort of um, extra chapter of Ryan Tannehill. In the meantime, Tennessee, who didn't look like a playoff team, have gone to looking like a team that very probably are going to make the playoffs. Um, and given odd. the week we've just seen as well, the, yeah. the weekend of football we've just seen, and all the extraordinary plays, not least in the, the Saints 49ers game, the fact that he has, without a shadow of a doubt, the play of the weekend with his tackle. With his tackle. Yes. Oh my God, had I not mentioned that? That's what I was thinking of all day. Yes, the, the play, the play of possibly tackle. the season. I mean, it, it was brilliant. So it, for those Even, you haven't seen it, so he threw a pick. Yeah. Uh, who was who was running it back? Big. It was a big unit. I can't remember who. Um, it was Murray Hurst. Oh, okay. Uh, who is difficult person to stop at the best of times. Oh, um, yes. Probably like 300 pounds. 300 pounds was yeah. motoring. He was in fifth gear for, for him. Uh, and Tannehill didn't just throw, which you often see at that kind of quarterback or on your shoulder in type block and try it. I mean, it was a perfectly executed, flawless tackle. Yeah, I actually, you know, I'm thinking to myself how how different things could have been if the Saints had just had um, Tannehill on defense to deal with George <laughs> take Kittle. Care, take care of Kittle. <laughs> now, I, I don't want to make keep making glib uh, or easy comparisons with uh, football, with European football, just for the sake of it, because you are on and know so much about both disciplines. But a player that springs to mind here, and if I'm going off on a tangent, just shut me up, but a player that springs to mind and thinking about why Tannehill seven, eight years into his career, it's suddenly clicking. This does happen sometimes in sport that like he was a first round draft pick. He clearly showed potential for periods of time. So he wasn't one of those players that we thought of as a, as a bust per se. It didn't really work out in the end and, and he probably did underperform, uh, but he wasn't a complete blowout. Unlike, I don't know, say a Jake Locker, no, right? So. Or, uh, you know, so. I don't know, Jake Locker, that's a bit harsh, but you know, uh, uh, a, a, any number of first round quarterbacks that have been taken between, uh, you know, sort of three and 25, 32 level no, pick that just done he's nothing. He's a much better quarterback than say a Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler. There we go. That's you know, who even Brock Osweiler had the odd game here or there, but he never had a run like this, nor indeed the playoff run that, that, uh, that as you um, were referencing that Tannehill had in Miami. So the player that springs to mind is Dimitri Pyatt. <laughs> now, okay. <laughs> now, now hear me out for a minute. That that season, I feel it, like the player that springs to mind is always going to be a West Ham player. <laughs> well, fair enough. It's a narrow reference point. It's Stuart Slater. Uh, no, it's Dimitri Pyatt. Pyatt, of course, had that defining season a few years back. At what was he? Twenty eight, twenty nine years old, roughly. Um, 
he was a player that we knew was talented. Uh, was certainly not somebody who would dismiss the scarf and, you know, it was a, a player with ability, but suddenly something changed and it was, and it, it's rare to see it, I guess, at that stage, that age of a, a player's career and development. And a lot of the, a lot of it was about situation, which is something we talk about all the time in sports and particularly in the NFL. Tannehill, it might just be this has always been inside him, but he just needed the right stars to align. And it is really interesting to see how far this will go because the difference between, say, a backup quarterback coming in and having a bit of a run and then reverting to the norm it explains why they're a backup because they can't retain that level of performance to that. Uh, for that sustained period and, and in particular defenses are working them out and making it harder uh, for that quarterback to play against them and, and it levels itself out. In this situation, we know Tannehill can be a starter for a sustained period of time. We know he can keep a, a pretty decent level for a sustained period of time. So I wonder how long he can play at this exceptional level. Cause, and I feel a little bit remistic because I was referring to him in my column and uh, and on air, I think last night is, you know, a level above a game manager, but certainly not a player that can win you a game. I think I've got that wrong. I think he is showing that he is a player that can win you a game. Oh, I mean, he's, he is, he is winning them games right now, whether or not it's sustainable, whether or not it's something that will last, whether or not we are just in some sort of beautiful window of, of Tannehill mania. Um, you know, that, that's a harder question to answer. And I know that. Tennessee are slightly in a quandary on that, of course, the team now, because, you know, they, they are starting to look seriously at new contracts and, and lining up, um, next season as a plan in which Tannehill will be the number one guy going in. And, and it's, it would be sort of, it would be crazy not to be thinking about that almost the way he's playing at the moment. And, uh, and of course, with that is the, the sort of nagging thought, what if this is just a bubble and it's going to burst? But at, as of today, as of the way he's, you know, been for the last six, seven weeks, I think he's playing at a higher level than lots of other sporting, starting quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL. He just is. You know, on that point, Tannehill and Derek Henry, neither under contract at the moment for 2020. So things get very interesting, uh, for Tennessee. Uh, cracking stuff, Nikki, uh, that we could have quite, uh, conceivably talked about another hour on the stuff that went down, but, uh, we are out of time for the pod, uh, today. Uh, but no doubt about it, next time you're on, I, I know it's a guaranteed stone cold spot. <laughs> it's going to be a storming weekend of football to talk about. Of course, of course. Brilliant stuff. Look after yourself. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Fine stuff from Nikki. I'm back with Iron Mike on Wednesday. Jay Bell is in the house on Friday. I think I might have trailed him as in the house last Friday, but of course, uh, that was wrong. He's in this Friday. That is an absolute promise. And our Paddy Power Fantasy League is back, incidentally. So get involved with that. Uh, paddypowerfantasy.com. If you check the links on our social media channels at the NC show, that's how you'll find it and get involved. It's free to enter lots of cash prizes. Loads of you have been playing, uh, for a lot of the season and enjoying it and winning dollar as well. So what is not to love about that? And one more thing for the road. If you haven't already, whichever podcatcher you listen to us on and you're able to go and drop a nice review, just give us a nice review. Hey, it's coming towards Christmas. Both Harry and Ollie are producers. It'll put a big fat smile on their faces for sure. Uh, and it helps us uh, with all kinds of things. So if you're liking and enjoying the show you're getting four times a week, uh, we would massively appreciate that. Right, back on Wednesday with Iron Mike. Look forward to it. See you then. Bye for now.
Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.